0: Thank you for tuning in to Tech United on Tap, brought to you by the team at Tech United New Jersey. You can find more episodes like this on our website at techunited.co. That's techunited.co. Enjoy and be sure to subscribe to be notified when new episodes are released. Hey, this is Aaron Price, the CEO of Tech United New Jersey. And on today's show, we have Angelo Straquatanio whose name I still can't seem to get right. Uh, he's the founder and CEO of Apprentice.io. Angelo, thanks for joining us today. How, how did I do in the second take?
1: Uh, it was great. It was great, Aaron, and excited to be here today and thrilled to kind of get into it. Apprentice has, has had a huge role
0: in the vaccine uh, development and deployment. And so I want to to, to lean in on some of the lessons learned here. So let's let's get right into it. First, sh- for those who aren't familiar with Apprentice, can you share what is Apprentice? What is it, what, what, what do you do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So to kind of share more about what Apprentice does, I wanna talk about what's happened to pharma. And you'll see how this directly connects to what we do and more importantly, the vaccine and, and where it kind of came from. So pharma has gone through some pretty major changes over the last number of years. Effectively, we went from pill making, like your Tylenols, Advils, Claritins, to then over the last decade, decade and a half, biologics, which instead of mixing things together and pressing into pill form, which is what most people think of when they think of pharma, um, biologics are actually grown. There are living cells that create these drugs over time, and that eventually gets turned into a drug that you can use. But what's even more remarkable is this industry has moved towards personalized medicine now, where there's even a drug made for me and a drug made for you. And so in that kind of radical shift, um, Apprentice has created a backbone piece of software to help increase the speed to market for some of these incredibly important, um, both cancer drugs, diabetes drugs, Alzheimer's drugs, and of course the COVID vaccine to help increase the speed to market so that these therapies can be used for patients around the world. And our software in particular though, is designed specifically to help orchestrate this and manage this shift from pill making, which is a small molecule to biologics, which is wholly complex, wholly difficult. And even now into this future world of personalized medicine. And so, you know, our software is really kind of created to help increase speed to market, which last year was of course, and right now still uh, speed is incredibly important. So let's, a lot of
0: directions to go here. So first on what is traditionally, or what has been traditionally the way that biologics have been developed. And you know what I think is so interesting here that we're gonna get into is how is treated treating the process more like a software development type process, accelerated the development. But let's start with what's the traditional approach?
1: Sure. So for the folks that are listening in, um, ordinarily, if you were to look at a project plan for a vaccine, it very much looks like a waterfall. Stage one is development, and development usually does take a very long time. Um, a, a normal drug uses many different multitude of techniques to identify the appropriate targets, which then you're getting going to get turned into that first um candidate which then will get taken into the different phases of clinical trials and there's a number of different phases which we'll get to in a minute but if you really think about it it's always stepwise step one research which can take several years to find that first candidate then step two is getting all the regulatory um, items ready to then go through and start the clinical trials step three then is all the recruitment of the trials, and then you know, moving along for phase one, then two, then three. And then in behind all of that is all of the actual manufacturing, which is where we are, right? Because just because the, the target molecule got discovered, quote unquote, still needs to be manufactured for the clinical trials. That material still needs to get created. And there's a big difference between the discovery, which happens on a lab bench. Think of it like back to high school, you know, chemistry and biology class. That's where the discovery phase in terms of its scale happens. And there's a whole massive process to figure out how it scales up. And that whole scale up process, again, is very waterfall driven and there's a whole stepwise function. So now you're into the discovery is one to three years. You get clinical trials, which can be multi-year, one to four. And then you got to get ready for commercial manufacturing which in and of itself goes through a whole qualification tech transfer setup i mean you name it process to get ready to then produce at the scale that was discovered during the trials so what's so fascinating about this is that we went effectively from a waterfall based technique or approach that is over the course of almost 10 years for a typical vaccine or a typical drug and effectively, we went from you know, waterfall to taking all of that and stacking it all at the exact same time. So every single parallel track was happening in parallel last year. So discovery was happening effectively the same time as regulatory, which was happening the same time as clinical recruitment, which was the same time as clinical manufacturing, which was the same time as commercial manufacturing, which was the same time as, as hell even supply chain logistics and packaging. Everything happened at the same time. So in a way, it was just like software engineering in a sense where not only was there the pace of iteration was unbelievably high, but also, too, the the ways in which these teams were effectively cut up and created and stacked all at the same time, you know, there's a lot of analogies there and a lot of parallels to how software gets created, where you have different modules, you have matrix-based teams, you have pods, you have all this stuff in software development. And that's what they did. They stacked the whole thing on top of itself and went from a waterfall to a giant stack that all happened at the exact same time. I and mean, it was so, massive. So many questions challenge. here. So
0: it, like in the beginning, right? I mean, I, I at one point, I believe you've you've shared with me that it was almost like this was done on a notepad sort of I mean, the the visual in my head was kind of handed from one department to the other. I don't know if that was literal or not, but it seemed like a very old school, uh, you know, approach. It, 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 and is that the case? I mean, how how um, non digitized was the approach? You know, maybe you know a year prior to the to COVID.
1: So so prior to COVID, this industry in general. Because, again, it's gone through so many of these radical shifts, right? We're going from the, the Tylenols of the world to the biologics of the world to now the personalized medicines of the world. That shift in this industry has not really coincided with a shift in the software to help them, you know, be the backbone software to power their process. I mean, that's where we fit in. That's what we're trying to solve for. But prior to that, you know, these systems were designed 20 years ago for, for pill making and they were designed for more compliance and Regulatory, they weren't designed for speed to market, and so oftentimes, unfortunately, for better or for worse, a lot of the the ways in which these drugs were manufactured, a lot of the ways in which they came to market, was still very much paper driven. You know, still a paper driven culture, even leading into 2020. Um, you know, that existed in this space, and and you know, there's a lot of reasons for it. One, there just wasn't software to really help them have this level of flexibility and speed and and frankly, just even modernity around the actual system itself. Um, but the other t- thing too was because it is a regulated space that everything in this space is highly regulated, you know, paper, paper affords itself um, a level of flexibility, which is really interesting. But there's a par- portion of paper that is really bad, <laughs> which is the data. And the feedback loop from paper to back into the process To help make certain smart decisions quickly is very slow and very painful. And so leading into the vaccine, the the vaccine just, my gosh, went through such a radical shift in terms of how the the processes, the way teams collaborated, the way in which they, they use that data to make some smart decisions quickly, and how then there was a collaboration with regulatory, which has always been a factor in this whole thing, how there was such a deeply embedded teamwork effort there that they were literally on site with these teams, literally physically there with them, um, that then all of a sudden really transformed how how these how this drug in particular uh, came to market. So for you know, for those of us in the software
0: development world, like I've used things like Trello, Asana, ClickUp, there's a variety of project management tools. Um you know jira for more software based development why couldn't they how is apprentice different from some of those what are the what are the custom requirements that are different about this industry and and how much of this is cultural how much of it is just getting people to think about this in a digital way versus you have the best tool that lets them do it
1: so interestingly, culture was probably the most difficult challenge we've had over the last six years that we've been doing this. this is, we didn't just show up at COVID, right? This is, this is year, technically, now we're moving into year seven here at Apprentice. It's been a long journey. But one of the most difficult things that we had to overcome were the cultural challenges and the industry shift to have the level of trust, and you'll see where I'm going with this in a second, the level of trust to even use a system like this. And the reason why, why those other systems necessarily can't be used is that all software in this space is regulated. All software in this space has to comply with what's called good manufacturing practices and other types of regulatory um, requirements like 21 CFR part 11 and others. And these regulatory requirements force software to go through a certain process, which then the customer has to then what's called validate the software in order for it to be used in this space. And that validation process is a massive overhead for both the customer and the software company. So if the company itself has not been designed, not just from a software perspective, but from a process policy, team structure. I mean, you name it, how we test software, how we write requirements for software, how we develop our software and how we release our software. If a company isn't set up to comply with those standards, even though these other tools exist, they can't actually be used. And and that's, that's one of the big challenges in this space is that um, you know, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, you know, a lot of um, companies and software companies and entrepreneurs like myself have stayed out of the space because of the fear of those regulations, the fear of, and the overhead associated with all of it. And, and for better or for worse, we embraced it. <laughs> we embraced it full, whole, wholeheartedly since our inception many years ago. But that's why there's a limiting factor of introducing these tools that you and I use. We use them at Apprentice, too. Why there's a limiting factor of bringing that into this world. And so we've adopted those practices. We've adopted that flexibility. We've adopted that kind of very, the consumerism of enterprise software. We just did it for life sciences now in the the, the kind of um, constru- uh, like structure of the regulations that do exist. I mean, it, it certainly proves a point how as an
0: entrepreneur doing difficult things creates real value, right? You, you, you certainly found an industry with plenty of barriers, but... You know, as you've seen, you know, I know that Apprentice has seen really explosive growth, but actually, still relatively small compared to the and J's, Modernas, and other large companies you're working with. And you know, I'm not—I don't mean to call out your customers. Oh yeah, yeah. if they they are, aren't? But you—you can—you can can verify. But how did you create confidence that they could trust you for what is you know one of the most critical things that they're working on ever? Mm -hmm. And 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 in, in that question, how would you? You know, what advice would you give other entrepreneurs as is they, is they're looking to work with large companies and create that level of trust?
1: So our industry in particular is not very trusting of startups. Rightfully so. I mean, honestly, rightfully so. These are drugs. Startups have risk
0: that's to- inherent and they need no risk opportunity options.
1: A- exactly. And and these are drugs going into people's bodies. The stakes are really high. You know, like if you screw up a widget, all right, you screwed up a widget. Right. If you screw up a drug that could potentially lead to death and, and that's a really scary thing so by nature this industry um, you know is is conservative in the approach to new technology as they should be so what we did in the very early days of apprentice is we took a unique approach which took a long period of time and it was to, start off very small and prove the trust, prove the credibility over a period of time. And and I know that, you know, in startups, time is is your enemy, you know, because especially when you raise money, the clock starts. The second that cash hits your account, the clock has begun. And and creating long-term multi-year relationships is difficult. And so, for example, you know, how did we get here and how did we help um, specifically some of the contract manufacturers um you know go through their process this year how did the because you know the the vaccine didn't get necessarily fully created in-house at these companies they had to contract out a lot of the manufacturing because number one some of this just didn't exist but number two the world didn't have capacity for eight billion doses or even 600 million here in the united states because you have to take two doses and so because of that it just had to get farmed out to contract manufacturers. And some of those contract manufacturers, we've had relationships for over five years, almost six years. And through that multi-year, very long relationship, we started out at like one little site, one little site, one little team, and, and not only proved out the value, but proved out that we as a vendor had the credibility and the actual ability to deliver on our promises. And then fast forward you know, years later, um, that same CMO, which I unfortunately can't mention her name, we went from only a few sites around the world to over 45 last year. We had some of our customers where we were in eight sites around the world going into COVID to so then over 70. We had other customers that we weren't even a customer with yet, but because we had the credibility and trust from other big names, we were able to move very rapidly and deploy out in over 20 sites throughout last year. And so it's one of those things where, I I hate to say it, but we had to kind of go back to basics of building relationships and trust with customers instead of having a product where we're just looking at analytics. You know, Oh, how are they using this? And let's look at Google Analytics today and not actually talk to the customer. We we built real relationships over years and to be in a place where we finally were able to kind of deliver for them.
0: Yeah. I've got to think that in some of the, because of the stakes being so high, that in some cases you've been, I would imagine you've had relationships up to potentially the CEO. Have there been naysayers in the C-suite that you've turned into supporters, and can you share any examples of those? Maybe that, you know, with or without names is up to you, but I'm curious of how you've, you've
1: created, uh, uh, you know, some collaboration. Absolutely. So I'll use an exact example from the beginning of the pandemic. So we we obviously were working with. Um, and touching everything from the the current vaccine that's currently approved to ones that were in candidate pipeline um, through the summer, which unfortunately, some of those candidates didn't didn't get approval that didn't show efficacy, unfortunately. Um, But we were working with a whole wide range of folks in many different ways, you know, some using some of our products, some using others, some through their contract manufacturers, some directly. But beyond the COVID piece, last year, this industry went through a remarkable shock. I mean, we all did, obviously, but there was a big concern about the global drug supply chains and its overall um, health and and the ability to actually produce other life-saving drugs beyond the COVID vaccine last year. So it actually went up to the president of one of our companies that's a quarter trillion dollar organization, and it went all the way up to the president of the company, and, and effectively, they said, how fast can you deploy? And so we had C-suite level decisions at these massive organizations saying, we need you to deploy, we need you to deploy rapidly. And, and that's where, you know thankfully we were in a place where you know we had seen this pandemic coming, we had customers in China and, and we had kind of some glimpses of this. So we retooled our software and our deployment model and all of our capabilities such that then we could deploy at a scale overnight um, that was really, it was really dramatic. But in that same C-suite where the president of this company, and I I wish I really could mention a name. They're here in New Jersey. They're very large for obvious reasons. But in that same group, that same leadership team, prior to COVID, there were some challenges there. And we had to convince the the global heads of manufacturing, the global heads of IT, the global heads of operations and quality, that this actually was a system that could be trusted. Not that it worked, because we proved that years ago but that could be trusted in their network. And thankfully, you know, we chipped away, chipped away, chipped away at the course of multiple years. And so finally, we were in this position where then the president says, go, and we went. And we were able to deploy with confidence, and they were able to support us with confidence. And, and, you know, the the rest was history from there. So this is an example, not even during the pandemic of the vaccine itself, but all the other drugs that were getting produced had massive shocks and impacts to the system um, beyond all of that. I love that playing the long game paid
0: off, not just for Apprentice before, you know, such an important part of, of, you know, for society right now. I mean, do you believe, is it fair to say that if Apprentice was not in place in many of these locations, that it would have taken significantly longer for this vaccine to come to market? Can you make that claim?
1: So we can definitely make the claim that Apprentice helped. (laughs) The, The thing, though, is that they threw massive human resources at this at will. We have one example from one of our customers that said ordinarily, this is during the clinical trial process last summer. One of these vaccine candidates, unfortunately, didn't make it to market. It didn't have the efficacy, unfortunately. But ordinarily, it takes 90 days to produce one batch of drugs. 90 days. We Just one batch. Working with our customer and using a part of our software, they were able to get that one batch of drugs out the door in 12 days. 90 to 12. And this example is really important because we absolutely were an enabling technology in that process. Now, granted, did they throw huge human resources at that too? Absolutely, but we were an enabling factor to help them go about and move at the speed in which they needed to. So, you know, I obviously I would love to say that we were the enabling factor that helped it speed to market. I can't make that claim, unfortunately but we sure as heck helped the manufacturing of this during the clinical trials in the summer and now into commercial production. Um, and so that, that piece of it is something we are quite proud of, but we also are proud of too of the, what our customers did in terms of just the sheer effort and human energy that was put into this thing. In the backdrop, again, in COVID, we were dealing with COVID, they were dealing with COVID, it was all around them. It's not like they were in some magical bubble bowl that didn't exist. And so, you know, just the sheer effort that they put into it and their energy, um, I, that is really what stole the day. You know, we are just there to help support it and help them you know, use tools to go faster. But they're, they're the heroes of this thing by far on top of us. That's awesome. For Because it was so rapidly
0: accelerated, there are a lot of people who are nervous about mm-hmm. taking it. Uh, even in a hospital system here in New Jersey, I've heard that only 30 percent of the employees opted in, which I was disappointed to hear. And surprised to hear. Can you share? Is there any part of your experience in working with the manufacturers that you can share to create any? You know, do you have any insight that lends itself to confidence in people's you know trust of actually getting
1: vaccinated? Absolutely. But before I get to that, it's it's unfortunate. It's just so so unfortunate. And this problem didn't start, by the way, during COVID. You know, our industry, for better or for worse. Um, has a trust problem and has had a trust problem for a long time. And, you know, the folks like Martin, Martin Shrekkel of the world and others like that have given, given Pharma a pretty tough reputation, you know, and, and one that is unfortunately something that has led to a mistrust um, in the institutions that actually develop these types of, of life-saving drugs. For, for those who
0: aren't sure, he's talking about the pharma bro. who yes. is The price of that. of, of that. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yes. Who, We're, by the way, also, unfortunately, has a New Jersey connection. If you're if you weren't aware. Uh, of that. I know. I yeah. know. For yeah.
1: um, better, for worse. For that's better, right. for
0: worse. The good and the bad. And,
1: yeah. And so that's just one example. But I think that, you know, because the the pricing side of this industry sometimes has crept into the conversation about what the industry actually produces it's created mistrust coming into this vaccine. So you kind of already, before the vaccine even got out the gate, you're dealing with an industry that already has a perception problem, let's say. And then all of a sudden you accelerate the heck out of the actual production cycle and it creates it creates fear because ultimately this industry is very opaque, right? We dealt with it ourselves, which if we weren't in the industry and started this company from on the inside of this industry, it's very hard to understand what this industry even does. It's very hard to understand how drugs are made. It's very hard to understand how you tell if they're safe. It's very hard to understand just what does even the manufacturing process look like? Because when most people think of manufacturing, they think of like Tesla. You know, you can visualize that. You can you can think about what the robots look like while they're making the model three. Do people really know or or can can visualize how the COVID vaccine is produced and discovered and, and brought to market? definitely no not. no not at all and so you have this kind of multiple layers that that we're dealt with this year of mistrust coming into the vaccine the opaqueness of the process in general because i mean it's just so hard to visualize how this thing is even done and then you know you throw in the political environment from last year and it's a it's a cocktail that is unfortunately you know challenging to say the least with all that said <laughs> I am on the inside of this industry. I, I am, I do see everything that was done. I do work shoulder to shoulder with the men and women in this industry who did go through unbelievable challenges last year to produce this, but more importantly, to produce it safely. And so this is the piece of it where I hope, I hope by what I say, you know, can lend itself to some level of confidence, is coming back to our conversation earlier of the waterfall, right? You know, we had the waterfall and 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 people are used to hearing about the waterfall, the 10 year waterfall of I do this, then I do that, then I do this, then I do that, then, then we get to the end. Even though this thing was stacked on top of each other, each of those stacks, each of those pieces of the process still had to go through the same level of rigor that any other drug goes through to go to market. And there were many drugs that did not get approval for this vaccine. I mean, we have customers of ours that we have incredibly deep relationships with that we killed ourselves on through the summer. They did not get approval. The drug was shown to not be effective. And, and you know the thing is that that means the process worked, right? In the beginning of COVID, there were almost 120 companies racing to get a, a, a drug out to market. And from those hundred and some odd companies, we only have two approvals. <laughs> And the reason why is that the process did work. The only difference is it happened in a stack, but in that stack, the layers, the, the rigor to show safety, the rigor to show efficacy, the safety, the, the process around the actual way in which this drug was tested to make sure it's safe for human consumption, that still had to happen and other drugs didn't make it. So our process did work. They didn't race all of this to market all of a sudden and every single one of these 120, some odd candidates got approved. Only two did so far.
0: And so do you and why, think
1: that the, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, sure. And I was gonna say the why the to those two did work is because during their actual clinical trials, the efficacy numbers, I, I don't wanna say are unprecedented because we've seen some good vaccines in the past, but you know the efficacy numbers from the technique that both Pfizer and Moderna use through mRNA, was unprecedented, you know, like ninety some odd percent efficacy um, out the gate in these clinical trials is remarkable. And and not only did it have a high level of efficacy, but there's a whole system designed around adverse effects, where every single participant in these clinical trials is tracked unbelievably detailed on every single moment that's happening in his or her life to see if there's something happening in the reaction and the safety of that drug and these studies were huge we're talking like tens of thousands of people moderna did an unbelievably diverse study so it's not just people but it's people of different backgrounds and races and and ages and sexes and you name and geography and you name it the diversity of that study combined with the scale of that study combined with the rigor of the process combined with the adverse effects tracking all of that led to an outcome that had a Drug that was found between Pfizer and Moderna, and hopefully soon here on J and J, that was not only safe but actually effective. And, and then we'll get into the manufacturing process, which I could speak to in a moment. But that whole thing, you know, is really what what happened here, and why I believe in the process. I believe in the safety of it. And so many of them failed to get here. That what actually got approved is remarkably powerful for what is for what we're trying to do here.
0: It's pretty incredible. Do you think this is a shift in the industry where it will no longer take eight to 10 years to bring a vaccine or drug to market that because of a shift in culture and technology use that we can bring, I don't know that we can expect that it's a year unless you point all the world of resources at it. But do you believe that this will be a shift in the industry and things will no longer take eight years to happen?
1: Without question, without question. And there are certain things that just can't go faster in the future. Um, So, for example, the the FDA and other international agencies were literally physically installed into these facilities and and like they were sitting at the exact same table as the manufacturers at the exact same time, collaborating in real time with each other. And that's not going to happen for every drug going forward. That level of of regulatory um, collaboration, just just I just don't think that's possible into the future. Um, But I do think is that the innovations that were found around drug discovery, number one, you know, and the techniques that Moderna and, and, and BioNTech slash Pfizer used was unbelievably powerful and will absolutely be used into the future. Two, the actual manufacturing process now, the thing that made the drug for the trial, that whole way, they ain't going back. They, they, what they found this last year was that things can be done faster while still maintaining the same level of quality and the same level of safety that is required to actually produce that drug. Because that's the other side of the actual drug making itself. How do I know that, okay, the molecule was found, but how do I know it was actually manufactured safely? There are certain critical process parameters and certain qu- critical quality attributes that are tracked with a level of tolerance that is so tight that if it is even out of specification by like, many, many small percentages outside of it that they can't accept that batch of that drug. So the safety around the actual manufacturing process is unbelievably controlled and tight. But with that said, coming back to the learnings from this year, there's no way they're going back to to how long it took to qualify equipment, how long it took to tech transfer, how long it took to stand up the manufacturing process, how long it took to actually figure out the manufacturing process, how long it took to actually go about the drug discovery, the clinical trial design, I mean, you name it, we ain't going back.
0: And by you know, bringing it back to the beginning, right, which used to be hand me the manila folder with the file, now is pull up Apprentice and let's see where we are in the process so we can collaborate.
1: And and it's not just Apprentice. There were tools in the drug discovery piece of it, the software. So we don't do drug discovery. We do all the manufacturing piece and all that fun stuff. But even the drug discovery tools, they're never going back to doing it the old way where they literally used to sample, Aaron, like hand by hand, sample by sample, testing the actual, like, well, is this gonna work or is that gonna work? Is this gonna work? Like effectively guess or check at a massive scale, they call it yeah. high throughput screening. But the software that was designed to actually create the mRNA vaccine, we're never going back, yeah. right? It is just so remarkable how much, how much software touched the whole process. And then you even get to logistics and supply chain and clinical, clinical trial design. The clinical trial study participants, that diverse, massively diverse and inclusive study that Moderna did, that whole design was just so different than what they've done before. And it, so yes, you know, Apprentice is part of this story that they're not going to go back on, but they ain't going back on those other things either.
0: Yeah, and well, so- and that's what I love about these industries, right? Where you, you, when, you, when you see how technology can be so game-changing is when the users can say, there's, this inevit- there's in the sense of an inevitability, right? Like, of course I should be able to get a taxi to show up in front of my house just using my phone right there's this like of course it should be this way, and it sounds like that's exactly what's happening. To this industry here and, and there's no turning back, of course it should be this way and that, and that software can make it more efficient.
1: That's exactly right, and so we're very optimistic about the future and we're very optimistic about not just COVID, but we like to say that apprentices goal is to create a lasting impact from COVID to cancer right? Because all of the learnings this last year, all of the things that were done, all of the ways in which software can be used across everything, you know, this world that's coming up around personalized medicine and cell and gene therapy, which funny enough, New Jersey is a leader in this space. We have the largest commercial manufacturers of personalized medicine here in New Jersey, in Warren and Summit, New Jersey, in East Hanover, New Jersey, some of the biggest manufacturers in the world are here in New Jersey. And this new world that's coming up requires requires that these drugs come to market faster in order to be able to deliver for the patients who need them. So for us, we are unbelievably optimistic about this future and we believe that the learnings from last year are gonna be taken into this next wave of drugs coming to market, but it's something that we feel is a requirement to enable this future state where there's personalized medicine designed for me and you and is a radical shift in this industry but we think that software and technology can enable them me- totally enable
0: agree it. and we would echo in fact the reason that we we drive our better wellness programming which is part of our better x alliances throughout the years because we believe new jersey is strategically positioned to make such an impact in a few industries and this is one we, we deeply believe in and how technology plays a well, role. You're, you're the perfect example of that a couple of quick questions before before we, we let you go
1: mm-hmm.
0: when would you predict it will, whether people feel safe or not, but when would you predict it will actually be safe for the general American to go to a sporting event in a large stadium? Q3. Q3 this year.
1: Yep. And so the reason why I say that is based on the current rate of production schedules, based on what we know we think is going to happen to accelerate the manufacturing process even further because effectively where we are right now in the development is we're all waiting for manufacturing, (laughs) right? Drugs been discovered, drugs been approved, done. We are now just in a stage where the manufacturing process is the limiting factor and not the process per se, but physical capacity. We're talking actual stainless steel bioreactors and single use bags and the physical limitations and uh, facility constraints that is what is stopping this level of production at a you know, a, a 600 million dose scale, um, 8 billion dose scale, the global, global type of scale. With that said, though, um, Pfizer, just for example, just came out uh, yesterday and they were able to um, actually cut down their manufacturing process from over 110 days for one batch, 110 days for one batch, down to about 60 some odd days, so almost in half and that rate of development that rate of progress combined with other capacity coming online there are multiple facilities right now that are coming online that that are being qualified and getting ready to start to run material through the process and so we believe that the rate of production is going to increase combined with additional approvals like J&J who's coming to market and they should be getting their EUA shortly But that that is a one dose, that is a one dose type of deal where instead of having to create production for two doses, which takes 300 million Americans and doubles it, we only need the 300 million. And so when you add up the capacity coming online with the new improvements in the manufacturing process and the actual new drugs, the new vaccines are actually getting approved. um, We believe that the scale that's required to give ourselves the comfort to go back to somewhat of our daily lives, when you do some of the the math on that, and it's aggressive math, tell it. Trust me, it's very aggressive math. Um, we think the back half of Q3 into Q4-ish, you're talking the September-ish, October-ish time frame, um, really starts to increase the level of confidence. Um, we think, we think for for going back to normal. Yeah, and real quick on the J
0: and J piece. I believe I read the efficacy is significantly lower. Does that give you any concern? If you had
1: a choice, would you would you opt out of the J&J vaccine? So at this stage, if I had any access to the vaccine, I'm taking it. <laughs> I unfortunately don't have access to it. I'm in phase two here in New Jersey. I get it, you know, I'm, I'm young and I'm healthy and, and, and we need people that have, are much higher risk than I am to be taking this thing, you know, well before I do frontline workers. I, I mean, I, I'm at the last, at the end of this line, but if I had the choice, absolutely sign me up because even that that doesn't have the, the the star you know studded numbers that you know Pfizer and moderna have, that level of efficacy is still in line with traditional vaccines. And, and to me, you know it's how fast can the state of New Jersey, for example, where we are located, how fast can this state get to a state in which either which is the sad part of it if if we all have, Ticked up in the number of people who, who have had COVID, this kind of herd immunity concept combined with the number of folks who have been vaccinated, will finally get to a stage in which the rate of transmission will drop to the floor. Yeah. And, and when that part happens, even if the efficacy isn't in that kind of star-studded range, um, it still is in range with other proven, reliable, safe vaccines. And so me personally, I would take any anyone that I'm allowed to, but I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm in phase two. I'm gonna be here for a while. So um yeah, that's how for, I feel about it. For those who want to learn
0: more about Apprentice, where can they find you? And I, we never actually shared where in New Jersey you're based. So I, 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 any any commercial you'd like to share about Apprentice for those listening and watching?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in this last year, we, we've grown like mad and we are looking for people to help join our team. Um, this is a big fight. It's a hard fight. It's a challenging fight. And, and it's not over once COVID is solved. You know, this industry, like we've talked about for the last half an hour here some big challenges well beyond COVID. And so we are growing our team quite dramatically right here in the state of New Jersey. Our offices are located in Jersey City, New Jersey. Um, But currently we are at home and I'm in Warren, New Jersey, uh, which isn't too far away in the mythical central New Jersey that may or may (laughs) not exist. No one really knows. Um, But, you know, really excited if folks are looking to join our team because we're looking for help. Um, Wide range of roles from engineering, of course, to to QA to sales, to customer success, to shipping, to kind of everything in between. And so we, uh, we're we looking for folks to help join the team and join the fight and and do it right here in, in New Jersey.
0: Awesome. Angela, I really appreciate you being part of the Tech United New Jersey community. As you know, our, our mission is to empower entrepreneurs to build a better future for all. And I think you're such a fantastic example of that, you and the, and the team at Apprentice. So thrilled you're doing it here in New Jersey and thrilled you're doing it, you know, for the for the good of mankind in general thanks for listening let us know your favorite takeaways on social media at we are tech united stay tuned more of tech united on tap next